maybe it's just me, but I feel different right this moment than I did yesterday at this time, right? The, things change, the context changes. And so I think that this has really raised kind of an interesting challenge for advisors is how do I gather data from my clients that is in the moment and can support a deeper conversation? Julie Littlechild founded her first research company called Advisor Impact because she heard from too many RIAs that they were having trouble building long-term enterprise value in their firms. What they were missing was an understanding of how client referrals can drive value and fuel geometric revenue growth. Fast forward 17 years, and Julie started her current company, appropriately called Absolute Engagement. I spoke with Julie about how they're helping advisors to leverage client input and drive deeper conversations, how advisory firms can identify unmet needs that haven't been tapped into, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. Come on in, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 112 of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group Consulting. Over the past 16 years, we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors and enterprise wealth management firms to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions. So if you are the CEO, CTO, COO, or other executive of a fintech with a software product that you're selling to RIAs, broker dealers, asset managers, or other firms, run, don't walk to our website, ezragroupllc.com, and click the button to schedule a discovery session. Our wealth tech research team can deliver a wide range of market insights for your firm, including competitive analysis, addressable and obtainable market estimates, sales targeting and insights on buying decisions and more. Every vendor needs this data to be successful, especially when entering new markets and you can get on the right track by going to ezragroupllc.com. And that's the end of the self-promotional segment of the program. Wealth Tech Today podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices in technology for wealth management, asset management, and every other area related to those. This episode is part of our September focus on client experience, and we're talking to influential industry leaders providing technology solutions that help advisors build stronger relationships, improve outcomes, and enrich their clients' lives. A few housekeeping tasks before I forget. A quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation, you can find them at investinothers.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. And now let's get this show on the road. I'm happy to introduce our guest for this episode is Julie Littlechild, founder and CEO of Absolute Engagement. Julie, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Craig. Looking forward to it. Glad you can make it. Glad we could coordinate the time. Everyone's going crazy. The world's going crazy. But here we are in our little peaceful world of our podcast, and we get to talk about fun stuff. It is. It feels very like we're in control of something just for just for a moment. Yeah, it's like when I, I remember reading about if you were interviewing somebody, you should always give them a glass of water or something, because just so they can hold it, they feel safer. Just holding something, whatever it is, whenever you're meeting with someone new, so. This is what we can hold on to our hold on to our podcast. Indeed. So Julie, give me the 30-second elevator pitch for absolute engagement. 
Yeah, sure. Our, our focus is on helping advisory firms use direct feedback and input from their clients to evolve the client experience and to drive growth. That was succinct. That's it in 30 seconds. That was, was that, that 16 was seconds? Too succinct. You need to expand. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a lot more succinct. questions about that. And <laughs> so uh, for complete full disclosure, I like your company so much and what you're doing so much that uh, I joined the advisory board. Of I Absolute know. Vision. And we are thrilled about that. I'm thrilled about that because you guys are going places. So, um, so this episode is part of our, our September uh, topic, which is client experience. That's what we're focusing on. And we're talking a lot about that. So kind of rolling it back a bit before we just jump in, just what is your definition of client experience? I mean, it's a great question because we talk about it so much. And and to some extent, it, it reminds me of practice management, right? It was everything. Um, and to some extent, I think client experience is, is a catch-all for all that we do for our clients. So we think of it as incorporating the service we provide, like how we deliver what we deliver, everything from uh, you know, how a meeting is booked, how a review is held, uh, what the communications process is, just everything to do with service. It is also about the offer provided, the scope of the offer. And, and I think increasingly, you know, we tend to focus on not just um, the experience itself, but what are advisors and what are firms doing to support deeper engagement uh, with their clients, which I think is part of client experience, but maybe goes a little deeper. So I want to talk about deeper engagement and deeper conversations. So I'm going to skip over the, the second question. What kind of client input do you recommend or have you gathered or help advisors gather that, that drives those deeper conversations? Yeah, we've, it's interesting because, you know, our focus is broadly on gathering input and, and input can work in a business in a very strategic way. It can help you understand the offer that you should deliver, the needs of clients, you know, that how often you should meet all of those things. But I've been really interested in this question that you asked, which is, is more about how do you drive a deeper conversation? And um, the way that I think about it is, is this, that when we're at a deep conversation needs to reflect what is on the mind of the client in the moment. What, what are they concerned about? What are they inspired by? Uh, what, what's their level of confidence? Uh, all of that, in my mind, informs the best possible conversation, but those things are really fluid. Right. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I feel different right this moment than I did yesterday at this time. Right. The, things change. The context changes. And so I think that this has really raised kind of an interesting challenge for advisors is how do I how do I gather data from my clients that is in the moment and can support a deeper conversation? So uh, so we've been focusing a lot of attention on what. What information can I gather, for example, uh, that allows me to co-create the review agenda so that as an advisor, I'm not just focused on the 10 things I had on my standard agenda. I'm actually focused on where's my client at? How are they feeling? What's going on? What are they concerned about? And using that to change the conversation. 
So when you're talking about gathering data in the moment, part of your what your company's really great at is is driving that type of conversation, helping advisors understand that. So what are some tips for for understanding how to how to learn which data is in the moment, which data is not in the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 firms that in my mind, truly focus on the voice of the client, the voice of a client as a strategy for the firm. To me, that's one of the most fundamental questions is sort of what are we trying to accomplish as an organization? What forms of feedback will support that? And then when do we need to gather that input? So it's, it's effectively, what are the right questions and when should we ask them to support those goals? So if you thought of something like, uh, we want to, we want to refine our offer. So I'll give you I mean, examples, working with firms who are thinking about expanding their offer into other areas. Maybe it's more into health and wellness, for example. Like we're seeing a lot of examples of firms going beyond just, just investments. Well, that would lead them down a path of asking a set of questions around awareness, need, interests in those particular things. And that information would be relatively static, right? You could gather it at a point in time and you could use that to support some of your strategic decision-making. However, if if it's what we're talking about, how are clients feeling? If I do an annual survey and I ask clients how they're feeling and I'm meeting with them six months later, I can't refer back to that and say, well, look, here's how you were feeling six months ago. So let's have a deep conversation about that, right? It's changed about a hundred times. So I think this idea of the cadence of, of input is, is really important to me. Um, so in this case, if it was the conversation, we literally need to be gathering some input as we're about to meet or within at least a week of that and then use that to change the conversation. That's a very different way, I think, of thinking about the voice of the client. Not every firm is doing that. That's a, a, an interesting way of putting it, the cadence of input. So it's, it's how it's sort of almost like a tempo. You need to make sure you have that right tempo to get the data that's, and make it valuable rather than, you know, is it, is it just getting it right before you have the meeting is much more valuable than having old data that's six months old. Absolutely. I mean, you could also think of examples. We're talking about client experience. Well, a lot of the most progressive firms that I know use some form of client journey mapping as they're thinking about the experience, like truly understanding uh, the stages their clients go through and what their needs are at those different stages. Um, and, and often it, it will end up in a conversation around something like the onboarding process, right? Like some specific aspect of that journey. And the same issue applies if my goal would be to enhance the onboarding process by understanding how clients experience that. I can't ask those questions of all of my clients. Some of them started 20 years ago. I don't think they're going to have meaningful input. What that means instead is I need to trigger a poll or a survey you know, within 30 days of onboarding so that, that it's coming in on an ongoing basis. So, so again, it's a different objective, different questions, different timing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That, that's a process that advisors need to set up in their tools and technology to remind them, hey, the client's been onboarded, now you're 30 days, you need to send the survey, or else they'll forget. So that's, that's part of the more technology-related action. 
They, they, yeah, that's right. And I think that, you know, I'm just talking about one form of data here, which is where we live our lives, right? Which is direct from, from the client. There's, there's uh, an almost infinite amount of data available to advisory firms to, to use. And I'm, I'm sure this is a big part of your world, sort of looking, looking at that and how it could be used effectively. Um, and and I'm, I'm often concerned about data is ending up in silos, right? So we've got demographic information in one system and planning information, and then we do a client survey and it sits over here. You know, to me, part of the future of, of the data part of client experience is how do we bring all of that together and really uh, learn from the integration of those different data points to, to drive a more meaningful experience. And I, I think we're just sort of, dipping our toe in the water on that kind of stuff right now. That's definitely something we talk about a lot. And something I've, I've sort of been beating the drum on for years is why do we have these silos? Because yeah. we always have done it that way. CRM has always <laughs> been right. its own database and financial planning is yeah. its own database and portfolio management is its own database and reporting sometimes is a separate database. And we just move, we've just learned to move data between them. And now we do have some integrations, but it's still not the same as having an integration. You're still moving data between disparate systems, which right. opens up possibilities of mistakes and sure. errors and things not syncing, which is never, never good for anything. Yeah. I'll give you a really simple example, though, of something that uh, came up with one of our clients recently. Um, we were doing a survey and uh, sort of a, they do an annual survey and we've always tracked things like satisfaction and some of those key measurements for them. But what we did this year was we integrated fund flow information. So we were able to effectively say, you know, when you, when you look at clients whose, you know, net inflows are lower than average, are there characteristics related to how they feel about the firm or the business? To me, that's a whole new set of insights being opened up. But to do that, we had to look at two of those disparate forms of input, put them together and see what we could learn. That's fantastic. So that, that's a, a really great way of leveraging different data sets, bringing them together mm -hmm. to provide way more valuable insights than if you just had them separately. Exactly. And I think that, you know, you asked about the conversation. Uh, part of the question I have, I'd love your insights on this as well, is, well, what, you know, what information does the advisor have at their fingertips when they're meeting with advisors? So I've just talked about one aspect of that, which is, um, which is our side of things, you, you know, in, in our world, we want an advisor to be sitting down with, with a client and know not only about the technical aspects of the relationship, but to know how they're feeling or to know what their satisfaction rating was on the last survey, or to know that they expressed an interest in certain topics. And all of those things come together and may come from different sources, but they're all going to support a deeper conversation. Yeah, there's more and more data available to advisors, but it's not really organized well, and it's not presented yeah. in a way that they can act, they can take action on. They've sort of got to sift through it. So Absolutely. having too much data is almost as bad as not having enough data because you're still not making good decisions. 
Well, the other thing that strikes me is, and, and I think you're <laughs> absolutely right. I mean, this is something we think about a lot is how can this be presented differently? And I think we're seeing some interesting examples out there. Um, but there's also a skill side of it. Again, I'm sort of harping on the conversation piece. Again, it's one thing to feed great data to someone, but if they lack the skills to have that deeper conversation, it's all for naught at that point, right? So I, I think we've got to, you know, at, at the same time, think about, are we equipping advisors with what they need to use this information in a meaningful way? I'd say no, in general, no, their firms mm -hmm. aren't. So it's, you're, you're in the cutting edge if you can provide that and you can provide a way that advisors can just say, here's what I need to do today. Boom, boom, boom. And here's why we right. told you to do that. And you'll most likely see a benefit. Either it's, you know, lower churn, larger uh, revenue growth, more prospects, uh, more referrals, as is a, a main part of your platform. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional charitable work. Their 15th annual Invest in Others Awards will be held digitally this year from September 20th through September 23rd. That's just eight days from now. Be sure to tune in each day at 4.45 p.m. Eastern time to watch as each award category winner is unveiled. You can watch on investinothers.org forward slash awards, and there's no logins or passwords required. Now, I've been involved with Invest in Others for three, no, four years now. It's a great organization. They do a lot of good. Uh, please donate on the website, investinothers.org. I'm sure your company will match your donations. And almost every wealth management company that I know of is involved in Invest in Others. They do a, a, some fantastic work. Each finalist in the Invest in Other Rewards receives a donation of $20,000, and the winners in each category, and I believe there are five categories, receive between $50,000 and $75,000 towards their nonprofit. And these are life-changing amounts for some of these organizations. And I've been uh, lucky enough to be part of the judging on some of these categories. And uh, the, the categories are things like local community involvement, uh, international charitable work. Um, uh, you know, uh, lifetime achievement awards, uh, things like that. So uh, they, they break it out in different ways. And it's really tough to, to pick the winners because there's so many good charities that are doing such good work, building schools, getting, um, helping feed people, building orphanages overseas, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, makes me feel really inadequate. I really got to step up my, my volunteer game, but investinothers.org is a great uh, organization, great charity. You should check them out at their website. And uh, you don't want to miss their awards this year. And please tune in on their website, investinothers.org forward slash awards to find out who wins. I don't know who's going to win. We need to learn. We need to know. We want to know who the winners are. So check them out. I wanted to go back to something you said and just throw out a plug for myself. You mentioned advisors expanding into health and wellness. That, yeah. that was our topic last month. Was okay, great. Was, it was not, it was fun. It was um, wealth and health. So okay. we were just talking to, to technology firms that are integrating health and wealth for advisors to, to look at those because they're so tightly linked. But if you're yes. uh, like, we worked with it, we talked to a company called Intergen Data run by mm -hmm. a, a good friend, Rob Kirk, and they're able to provide data 
that gives probabilities of clients having health issues right. uh, in the future based on demographics. Yeah. And if you know, if you didn't, if you're not looking at that, how can you possibly help your client plan for their future if you don't Absolutely. have access to your that health data uh, and other issues? So that's it's really it's really making for advisors to be, to get beyond just managing assets and helping clients manage their lives. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. I mean. You know, talk about having bringing access to something the client would not have otherwise. I mean, I think that's an amazing example of that. Another good one um, um, from our friend Charlie Galecka. She just posted something on LinkedIn talking about how a client was searching advisors and interviewing them and finally mm-hmm. came to her and said, well, one of my goals, he's 70 years old. One of his goals is to travel, to do travel. Right. And he said, the other advisors I interviewed wouldn't let me do it. They said, I can't withdraw that money yet. And she said, <laughs> you should definitely do that. Uh, and she made it and she you know, made a plan for him and, he, and she got him as a client. And you know, he was much happier because now he can actually spend the money. He's worked 70 years or 50 years to, to earn the money and he hasn't yeah. been able to use it. You know, what, at what point can you take that money and actually use it for something that makes your life better? Isn't that funny? We've talked to a number of firms lately, sort of larger advisory firms who are, are going down this path of wanting to expand the service. And it's, it's been an interesting process because I think that, um, you know, again, asking the right questions starts to become really important. So, you know, you could ask clients, for example, uh, you know, are you interested in learning more about health and wellness? Well, I can guarantee you quite a few will. But the real question or next question is, are you interested in learning about that from us, <laughs> right? Like, do you see the connection there? And and even further, if we were to offer a service such as this, would it be of interest? We, you know, it, and I think we've got to get a little more uh, clever about some of the questions we ask, because I see a lot of people almost thinking, well, they're interested in this, therefore there's a demand. Well, not necessarily, there might be, uh, but but I think we've got to be careful. Caution is always appropriate. You don't want Indeed. to necessarily go too far too fast, but you know, you have, to, you have to, to, to measure that. Yeah. All right. So next topic. So talking more about, uh, well, let's, let's talk about the client experience mm-hmm. um, generically. How has it evolved? How have you seen client experience evolving through the pandemic and how will it be changing going forward? Yeah, there's, there's, two things that we've seen influence experience. And here I'm talking about some of the more granular aspects of experience, I guess, like, I mean, everything from how often you meet with clients to how you meet to where you meet to what they might want to access online, uh, you know, all of those elements. Um, And it's been influenced significantly, significantly by the pandemic. The other thing, and maybe we can talk about this, is is the influence of demographics, uh, the influence of age in particular, uh, because I think that we look at the changes that have happened through the pandemic, and it's tempting to say, well, you know, it's going back or, or something, but really we're actually seeing the convergence of the impact of the pandemic and the impact of of working with younger people almost at the same time. And I think those things together will fundamentally shift some aspects of client experience. So, you know, to your question, what are we seeing? Well, on average, we're seeing a need for an increase in frequency of contact. 
not for every client, but there is about a quarter of clients who want to meet more often, for example. Uh, not surprisingly, we're seeing a very significant shift to people who want to meet virtually. Um, and so, you know, those two things alone to me mean, well, so what's that going to look like? What are the tools that we're going to use? How are we going to deliver an extraordinary review online? Are we, are we you know, it's not just Zoom, right? It's, it's how do we share? Is there different technology that we need to use to engage in different ways. So, you know, we're seeing that we're, we're certainly seeing, um, and this is as much as anything age, I guess, just people having been trained to do things themselves. So much more interest in what is the functionality? What are the things I can do on my own? And what do I need you for? I think we're just more comfortable with uh, using, whether it's portals or, or what have you. Um, and uh, but the other side of it, which is, you know, in a way, the softer side of it is just that about two thirds of clients say that their views of their own future have changed over the last 18 months. And and to me, that means we're going to have to think long and hard about what that means in terms of the advice that's being delivered. So to your example, you know, they might be thinking. I just want to spend this a little. I want to. I want some experiences. I want to do different things. I, 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 you know. And I think we that that's going to impact how advisors work with their clients. Uh, in in my view, so all of those things, you know, there's different fears. It's, it's we've all been through this, right? They're thinking more about legacy and making sure their families are okay, and and all of those things. So it's it's, it's rife, but. But I mention age, and and I tell you, to me, this is uh, this is the biggest one. The, there's such a clear demarcation when we look at the data of what younger, and I, I would use air quotes around that because by younger I mean under 50. I don't mean 20 year olds, and uh, what they want and what they expect and how they want to interact. It's like we're looking at two completely different populations. And I'm seeing a lot of advisory firms who say, look, the majority of our clients are 60, 70, 80, and, and they are when you look at it, and they're allowing that segment to determine what the experience should look like. And I think they're in for a rude awakening if that's the case. I'm sure they are. Well, that, that will change. I mean, as more advisors retire, and the client base should start to skew younger. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's move on to more about data. What about, with your client mm -hmm. insights platform, which I really like, and I'd like to talk some more about, how, how are you figuring out where the missing pieces are? And how can that, you know, how can we grab that data? How can advisors get that data from the clients and make it more like a data feed that plugs into their existing processes? Yeah, so I mean, a couple of things come to mind there. One is that, you know, the gaps or what they're trying to accomplish needs to be driven by objectives. So if, if we're talking to an advisory firm, for example, um, often what we're hearing is we want a measure of how our clients feel, but not just that. We'd actually like to look at that across the firm. Does, does, the, does the satisfaction level change 
by office, by advisor? <laughs> you know, are there are there things that we need to learn about delivering a consistent experience across the firm? So if we if we think more firm than advisor, I mean, to me that that those are some of the much bigger challenges. Um, and uh, and then what what are the expectations of our clients, and how does that change again by age or by by uh, maybe persona or or niche or or what have you? Um, so if they're thinking about experience, those are the kinds of insights that they're going to want to think about. The other areas that we hear advisory firms really focused on, not surprisingly, are growth. So if that's if that's the focus. They might be looking at retention. So where are our clients at risk and how can we follow up with them directly to ensure that we keep them? Are there unmet needs among our clients that we have not tapped into and, and, and how can we tease out that information to close the gap? Um, and the other thing that comes to mind, which is a you know a little more um, focused for some firms is we're also seeing uh, firms taking some of these feeds from clients and tying it into their compensation model for advisors. So really looking at, is there a component of compensation that can be driven by the level of engagement of clients? And, and, and can we stop just assuming what that is and actually get some real data on it? Now that's interesting because that's something we do work on with, with broker dealers is, is uh, advisor compensation. Right. That's a uh, a, a part of our business and we've done a lot of work with that yeah. so but they don't have it based on client engagement as far as i know that right. that would be new not often not often because they don't have the data to do that right so um and it's not as if it would be the only part of it but we've seen uh, particularly among some larger RIAs. Um, I think those have been the first to really adopt this to say look there's a component of this where um, where we need to listen to the client and we need to make that part of, of how we compensate. So what kind of data would you recommend for measuring client engagement that would feed a compensation uh, tier or a matrix? You know, the baseline could be as simple as satisfaction. I mean, to me, it's it's not the greatest metric, but it's it's not a bad place to start. There are a lot of firms using Net Promoter Score. I have a love-hate relationship with it as a metric. Um, so, we, you know, the reality is I think you need more than one thing. Um, but maybe more important than those generic uh, metrics or measures are to craft a metric that actually reflects what the firm is trying to accomplish. Uh, so, you know, we have one client, for example, who, who for whom we created what they call a, their client delight index. And it's it was just a name that they had started using, but what it was based on was what clients said was most important to them, which to me is a far more effective way of measuring success is, is, is really are we meeting their expectations on what matters most. So, you know, this could change from firm to firm. Um, you know, you could create a metric based on how you want to be known to your clients. You could base a metric on what they say is most important. And, and then I think you're getting a little more granular and a, going a little deeper than satisfaction. When you use the word delight, delighting the clients that reminded me of uh, guy kawasaki uh, who had a book called mm -hmm. enchantment how to enchant how to right. create an enchanting experience so that's 
Yeah. I don't think I've ever enchanted anyone. I don't know about you, but that, that feels like a high bar. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've, yeah, no one's ever used the word enchanting with me, but that maybe they use other. Synonyms. But, you know, maybe it's just us, Craig. I don't know. We're, the, we're, yeah, we're not enchanting you and I, unfortunately, but we're doing our best. We're still, we're still working hard. We're doing our best. Indeed. So, uh, looking at satisfaction, you mentioned satisfaction isn't enough when we're measuring levels of client mm -hmm. engagement. Why is that? the vast majority of clients are satisfied. So about 90% or somewhat are very satisfied. So, you know, what it will do is tell you if you have clients at risk, because they're, if they're not in, in one of those categories, they are at risk and, and we do need to follow up. Um, the other, uh, but the, the engagement metric that we use, because simply because it's a higher standard is, is a combination of satisfaction and referral activity. So when you have clients who are satisfied and they are telling others about you, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a high standard to set. And I think there's, we can learn from that. Uh, the other thing that we, we found from the research, I mentioned this idea of client self-confidence earlier. We saw an incredibly strong correlation between how confident someone felt about their own financial future. So were they confident? Did they feel in control? Did they feel secure? And satisfaction, loyalty, and net promoter score. So it's kind of a reminder that that those, those metrics aren't just driven by what we do for clients, but how clients are feeling about their own future. And, and in effect, that's where the biggest gaps were over the last year. Self-confidence is the primary concern. Self so, so what can advisors do? Is there any technology that can help increase client confidence is it, or is it just um, something that's more, of inta more intangible? It's, I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to conversation and because often these same people are financially secure and do have a clear plan in place and may be more in control than they're thinking. However, um, I think there is, uh, I think there's a lot that we can do around, you know, we call it leadership, which is a really broad term, but the idea of using technology to really personalize the client communications that we share, um, that to me is a way to demonstrate leadership. And that in turn, I, I think is a way to drive self-confidence. You are good. You just segued right into the next question about personalization. <laughs> smooth, Didn't, very smooth, smooth, Julie. So talking about personalization, uh, yeah. so what does it mean to demonstrate leadership as a way to drive self-confidence? Well, we, when we look at the path from satisfaction to engagement, we, we use a very simple graphic, which of course we can't see right now. It's just a it's sort of a pyramid um, with good service at the bottom, the right offer in the middle, leadership at the top. Um, so, you know, good service is everything that you would expect. You call people back, you meet them often enough, you don't mess up too often. If you do, you fix it. You know, it's everything that we relate to good service. Having the right offer is obviously being a lot, things like financial planning, if that's the need. But leadership to me is, is really... Uh, it, it's something of an intangible, but not necessarily. It's based on what the needs and concerns and challenges of your clients are. It's the guidance that you provide to clients. It's, it's the thing that puts money in the context of, of their lives. And 
as much as that sounds very intangible, I think where it connects back to to this idea of personalization is simply, and, and maybe we can tie it right back to, to, to health and wellness. Uh, you know, health and wellness was the single biggest um, data point increase we saw in topics of interest last year. Not surprising, we were in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's still quite high, by the way, uh, even coming out of it. But um, so, you know, so what does that tell us? Well, it tells us what that's what's on the minds of our clients. If we can support them in that, I think we're demonstrating leadership because it demonstrates we understood what they're worried about and we can support them with that. And I think we can use, frankly, some fairly simple technologies to personalize communications, to, to be able to say, um, you told me that this was a topic of interest and, and maybe using a marketing platform or something along those lines to, to target the right content to those clients. You know, again, I'm not talking about the most sophisticated technology here, but I'm talking about something that requires technology to make it work. Yeah, there's a number of marketing platforms that you can check. Anyone listening can check. Uh, go to Keatsis.com and check the uh, the advisor fintech map that the Michael and I partner right. on. There's a lot of marketing tools there in the lower left hand corner, I believe, of the map. You can wow, out. you are you are very familiar with that map. Well, right? Michael and I every month it's almost time. The last week of the month we get together. The first week of the month and we will review the map. What's new? What's changed? Well, we got to reorganize. Who's been acquired? And things like that. Right. Uh, that's always new. Uh, what new companies have come up? Yeah. So it's a constantly changing map, and because it's a, it's a, we're in a Absolutely. dynamic industry. Right? Indeed. And now, speaking of dynamic, we're out of time. This was great. You said it all, Julie. You managed to get a lot of information <laughs> out there in a very short amount of time. Where can people find out more about you and your company? Uh, Absoluteengagement.com. We've got a blog and we share all of our research there. So it tends to be the place to go for anything that we're releasing on these issues. And what's your Twitter handle for everyone who's on Twitter? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that is at Jay Littlechild. <laughs> There's yes, something I don't, it's like asking me my phone number or something. <laughs> Who remembers? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And I always, I'm always retweeting your blog posts. I think they're great. So you can check my. Thank you. Well. And, and I, you. Oh, awesome. We are, this is a mutual admiration society and we're going to sign off. Indeed. Julie, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Take care. Here are my three takeaways from this episode. Deep conversations need to reflect what's on the mind of the client in the moment. What are they concerned about? What are they inspired by? And what's their level of confidence? Number two, the importance of the client journey. The importance of client journey mapping to truly understand the stages their clients go through and what their needs are at those different stages. And number three, free your data from silos. How do we bring it all together? How do we learn from these combined data points and surface new insights? That's a wrap for this program. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and sign up for our newsletter. Every month, you'll get a little bite of goodness, little tasty morsels from across the industry. You will not be disappointed. And I'll speak to everyone again next time. 